Would you please stand with me, friends, as we read the Lord's Word this morning from uh, Matthew chapter 10. I will be reading verses 24 through 39, and we will be looking at verses 26 through 31. Again, let us listen now to the Lord's Word. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but, I, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Amen. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated. Again, our Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that your blessing be upon your servant and upon your people gathered in this place and gathered from afar. We ask, Father, that you would encourage and strengthen your people for the days at hand and that we would not grow weary in doing the work you've called us to do. Please help us, we pray, and bless this for the glory of Christ, and we pray that you would cause the kingdom of Satan great injury. I do humbly ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, China and North Korea and Azerbaijan, much persecution taking place in these countries. It's always uh, uh, kind of at the forefront of my mind that these things are going on. And the temptation uh, during these times is that we want to be silent. And yet, what did the Lord tell the church to do uh, before he left? Go and be my witnesses into all the earth. Go and, and proclaim the gospel. But what if? What if I am to suffer persecution such as they are in China and in North Korea and in Azerbaijan? Even here in the United States, uh, we've been doing a book study, some of us, uh, and we did this in Sunday School, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher. Wonderful book. And in the book, he speaks about soft totalitarianism, right? And how is that different than Mussolini's totalitarianism? Mussolini was all-invasive. It was, we're going to control everything and tell you what you need to do. The soft totalitarianism, however, is that which, which comes by the way of social media, it's that snubbing that you get when you start saying things that other people don't like. For instance, when Facebook blocks you, 
that's a version of soft totalitarianism. We don't like what you're saying, so we're going to block you so that you can't share for 20 days or 30 days, whatever it is. This is the kind of thing that begins to go on. And it starts to do something in the mind of the Lord's people where we want to withdraw, we want to hide, we want to go silent. We don't want to do these things because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves anymore because it's painful. A few weeks back, we looked at Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-five, which said, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord will be exalted. And we made the case then that many times we do foolish things because we fear people. And I gave a couple of examples. Abraham, uh, not once, but twice, because he feared people, once Pharaoh and once King Abimelech, he passed his wife off as his sister, which was half true, but it was also half false, right? And he feared, tell them you're my sister, because when they see how beautiful they are, they're going to kill me. So just tell them you're my sister. Or... In the days of Jesus, many rulers who believed in Jesus Christ would not own him publicly because they were fearful of being put out of the synagogue so they did not confess Jesus publicly because they loved the approval of men rather than of God. Sometimes we fail to discipline our children because we want them uh, to give their, we want their approval. We want them to think we're the uh, parents they don't need to be ashamed of, or where we fail to speak the truth uh, lest we lose our jobs. We find security in our jobs. And so the scripture here, as we look at it, what we see is a failing to speak or to associate with the Lord, with the gospel, to follow Christ because of what men may say about us or what they may do to us. Hence, China, North Korea, Azerbaijan and a several dozen other countries that are now facing persecution. Jesus said, my friends, that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, that is Lord of the flies or the prince of demons, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And it was not only speaking bad about people, but earlier here in this chapter, we uh, the Lord would speak about rejecting the message and the messenger. It's being betrayed by people you love and sometimes by family members. It's being falsely accused or delivered over to the courts, being physically harmed, Jesus would talk. And he would say this to his disciples, preparing them that you're getting ready to go into this world and you're going to go and you're going to speak about me and this is what you can encounter. And this is where we are. As Americans, as a church in the United States, now it's just draw back, say very little, and let's not worry about other people and their souls. Friends, do we have that option? You don't have that option. We don't have that option as Christians to not engage the world. So, disciple, if they call Jesus Christ Beelzebul, what do you think they're going to call you? If they wouldn't listen to Jesus, do you suspect they're going to be quick to listen to you and what you have to say? We may say we believe in free speech, but I think there's some awfully powerful arguments going forward these days that are demonstrating that free speech is a one-way street and we're becoming very limited in the things that we can say. Because if we say the wrong kinds of free things, we will bear the punishment for it. And so it's a very apropos a passage of scripture for us.
Here, the Lord calls us to follow. He calls us to be his witnesses. And he has forewarned us as his disciples, as he did his disciples, that service in his courts will cost us. There will be personal cost and it will hurt. It will hurt. Notice in verse 32, he says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is the point of this passage. He's talking about confessing Jesus Christ before the world. And so the temptation is, if I stay quiet, if I keep my mouth closed, if I keep the lamp under the bushel, no one will hear, no one will see, and then no one will bother me or hurt me. And where there is no risk, there will be no pain. And where there is no obedience, there will be no suffering. But my friends, where there is no risk, there is also no witness. And so will you be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I need to say something about this little town of Lander. It's not a good little town. We have houses, we have trucks, we have our vehicles, we've got our machines, we've got this semblance of normalcy and hominess and all these sorts of things. Do not be deceived that because a man's personal life seems to be in order that his soul is right with God. I think we look around us in our culture and we say, they're pretty decent people. Why rock the boat? That's a false assumption. If we go based on what the scripture says, we see that men are wretched. They're lost. They're lost in their sin. And when they're living in their sin and there's fruit of sin hanging in their lives, you don't say it's okay. You deal with it. And so here, the temptation we must fight is the temptation to just be quiet. Where there is no risk, there is no witness. And we do many foolish and harmful things because we fear people more than we fear the Lord And we neglect to tell people about the Lord because we are afraid. Being afraid of men is the greatest harm. Uh, It is not fearing Jesus Christ that is the great harm. Rather, if we fear men and we are silent, we end up injuring our neighbors. And so we have to get beyond just being comfortable in church. We really do. We have to start caring about whether men and women will die and where they will spend eternity. That's a bottom line. And there's only one hope for people, and that is in Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus in this passage, knowing that we are weak, that we are prone to falter and stumble, speaks words of assurance, words of comfort um, to his disciples so that fear doesn't shut them so that fear doesn't shut us down. And so look at verses 26 and 27. We see here that we are not to fear to share the gospel um, because everything will be brought to light in the end. Verse 26 and 27. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. 
The first reason given to us by the Lord on why we mustn't be terrified by men and their threats and thus back away from speaking openly of the Lord is this assurance that there is a day of judgment that comes on this earth. We heard something of this this morning in Sunday school. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Again, he says, there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. When we are tempted to fear people's reactions or treatments of us because of Christ Jesus and our testimony of him, we have this to think of, that our God sees what they do, he knows what they are up to behind closed doors, and he will repay. The scriptures are very clear, beloved, that when Jesus Christ comes again, it will be for judgment. It will be heard. We're told of the blast of the trumpet. It will be seen. Every eye will see it, and it will come unexpectedly, and he will come and will pour out judgment. If you will turn with me to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, we see this very plainly. And as you're turning there, let me just say that there are passages of Scripture that are clear, and then there are passages of Scripture that are less clear. This 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 is one of those passages that is very clear about the, the coming of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1, listen to what the apostle writes. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. And so there the apostle says, this is what the Lord is going to do. He's going to come back. He's going to deal out retribution to those who had afflicted the church. The writer of Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says this, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And Jesus in Matthew 16 says, for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. So am I treated unjustly? Are you treated harshly by family members? Have you had people snub you because you tried and dared to share the gospel with them and they closed you down on Facebook again, right? Dare you stop? Should you be frightened or intimidated by these things? And the answer would be no, my friends, because the Lord is a just God. He's a just God and he will do what is just and it doesn't only provide comfort to the individual afflicted for Christ's sake, but it also provides comfort in the sense that he will judge us too for faithful service. The unceasing prayers that you have offered up, the attempts to share the gospel with family members, um, although they may be rejected for a time, beloved, the Lord will not fail to recognize this as well. Jeremiah was a man, of uh, the weeping prophet, who preached and preached and preached and preached. And scholars believe that there was maybe only one convert on all of the years of his ministry, and that was the scribe who took notes. Was Jeremiah a failure? No, he wasn't. Because on the day of judgment, what does the Lord say to Jeremiah? 
well done, well done. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. He says to Isaiah, who will go forth and who will speak? He says, I'll go, I'll speak, says Isaiah. And what does the Lord say to Isaiah? Go, but they won't listen. You're a success. You're faithful. When you're faithful, you're, you're doing the work of success. You're doing just what the Lord has called you to do. And here, here there's this, this idea uh, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. You keep spreading the gospel of the kingdom because we know that a day of justice is going to come. We keep spreading the gospel of the kingdom. I remember as a, a new convert, I was 15 or 16 years old, and I remember thinking that it was just a horrible thing. I had friends, grew up near uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And you know what they say about Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. That's where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. And so all my buddies, all my friends listened to music. And I had become a Christian. And I thought it was a terrible evil that people were listening to Iron Maiden. So I'd say to my friends, you need to stop listening to Iron Maiden. You should listen to the Resurrection Band. You should listen to this band or that band. Trying to convert them from listening to uh, regular rock and roll to Christian rock and roll. And it dawned on me much later, sadly, that that's not the goal of the Christian to get people to stop listening to Iron Maiden. That's not what I should be focusing on. And I think that there's some of this as well today, that the job of the Christian is to get someone to vote Republican. Don't get me wrong. We should vote for good, sound platforms. But you can be a Republican, right, and not be a Christian. And dare I say it, you could be a Christian and not be a Republican. Does that rankle some of you a little bit? <laughs> and my goal is not, and I wish, I, and you hear me pray it, and you hear me pray it often, we need to do away with abortion in this land. But if we do away with abortion in this land and a man is unconverted to Jesus Christ, he will still go to hell. And so when we talk about preaching the gospel, we're not talking about getting person, people to change their political views or, or certain things. New hearts do new things. A man indwelt by the spirit of God will not long be able to embrace death as a good thing. I'm convinced of that. When Jesus Christ takes up residence in a person's heart by his spirit, he is a new creature. He has new attitudes, new affections, and the things he used to delight in, he no longer delights. And I have a dear friend from many years ago who when he came to the Lord, he put away his drinking parties. He put away immorality. And he said, I started to find comfort in Bible studies. He said, and it was just the strangest thing. He says, Phil, all the things I used to love to do, I no longer found pleasure in them. Rather, I found pleasure in the things of the Lord and in the Lord. And his, his whole life took a different trajectory, as it were. And so we have a message. That message that we are supposed to speak is the message of Jesus Christ 
that he was crucified for sinners, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected from the dead on the first day of the week, that the Lord himself raised Jesus from the dead and put to death death forever in Jesus Christ, and that there is forgiveness in his name alone, and there is peace with God, the Father, to be found in him, and there is this hope of eternal life, which will never be stripped away from the child of God. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the news of the kingdom. These are the kinds of things that Jesus taught his disciples, and the things that they heard in private, these were to be the things that they were to carry into the public. And these are the very things the church needs to get back to her focus, back to her ground. I sometimes, and I and, I, and it's, it frightens me a little bit that we think that we're, our, our main goal in life is just to abolish abortion. And believe me, I, I, I want to see it done away with. But if we stop there, we have not gone far enough. And so I wish all of you were out there praying on the sidewalk for the next 40 days. I do. I wish you were all involved in some way fighting to preserve lives and, and take care of people like this. But if we let go of the gospel, all we have done, we have put a temporary stay on something and we have not sought the ultimate good, which is the conversion of hearts. And I'm convinced that's the only way abortion is going to end in this land is if the church rises up and shares and portrays and proclaims Jesus Christ. Jesus tells his disciples, rather than fearing men and being silent, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Again, he spoke many things to his disciples in private. Many of the things at this point in, this, in the history of the church were still a mystery. They did not yet understand all the implications of all that he was teaching them, but they did know that Jesus could heal, that he could forgive sins, that he was compassionate, and that he was God. Tell it from the housetops. Don't be silent. Speak it far and wide. Speak it loudly so all can hear it. Imagine, friends, imagine that he's telling them this with them still having a lot of mystery and questions in their mind. And then fast forward now 2,000 years and think of the witness of the church, of the gifts of the spirit given to the church, of the doctrines, of the systematic theologies, of the commentaries, and of all the faithful teachers, Bible teachers we've had throughout the ages. And we have their works and we have this progressive revelation where the Lord has just like a flower that has been brought into full bloom. We see this thing and we marvel. And he tells them, don't be silent, but shout it from the rooftops. How about us? How about us? We have this wonderful treasure trove of, of grace and of knowledge, of light, of wisdom. And what do we do? We don't share it. And they might think I'm weird. Oh, guaranteed. <laughs> They'll think you're weird. But it's truth. And it's needed. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak, my friends. Don't fear the words, the misdeeds, if the hurtful responses. Invite those friends fishing. Invite the lady over for tea. Sit down and eat lunch next to that guy. And tell them openly what you know of Jesus Christ. Be kind, be gentle, but tell them. It's our job. Don't fear. Because all will be revealed in the end. Secondly, don't fear men. 
who are limited in what they can do to you. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Um, Another way um, that Jesus speaks here is don't fear men because of your future well-being. It is not in their hands. It is not in their control, but it is in the Lord's hands. Don't fear man because he is limited. Why do we fear people? Because we ascribe to them more power than they actually have. Jesus acknowledges that, yes, because of my name, you may be scourged, you may be put to death. Again, as as we're reflecting on these things, we we like to hear and we'd like to believe, and we we oftentimes hear things like this, nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing, what's going to happen to you? You mean like martyrdom? That happens. It's happening to brothers and sisters across the oceans now because of Jesus Christ. And, and so we don't do ourselves any good by saying it could never happen. It could very well happen. Right? But we don't look at that and then have our joy shaken. Rather, we, we look at this and we say this is the reality. Jesus acknowledged, yes, you may be put to death. Again, China and North Korea Consider Stephen and James, who was run through with a sword at Herod's command. John, who was exiled to Patmos, the apostles and the traditions of their deaths. We have Peter, who was crucified upside down. Other saints of Hebrews 11, who were stoned, sawn in two. They were tempted, put to death with sword, went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They may hurt your body. That is the truth. They may hurt your body. But they cannot touch our souls. They may kill our bodies if you stand for Jesus, but they cannot, again, touch your soul. Man is made up of body and soul, material and immaterial. The body, though under curse, under the curse, experiencing the effects of sin in this world, and they are wearing down and sickness, and we experience death, The body itself is not sinful. Having a body is not sinful. Jesus himself had a body. The soul, on the other hand, is fallen. It is full of sin. David wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. From conception we are sinful. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Have you ever wondered, where did they get that from? Right? It's because this is their nature. And the rod of discipline drives it far away. Jesus Christ came into the world to deal with our sin and to destroy the works of the devil. If the soul is redeemed from the slave block of sin, the body comes with it to heaven. So when men threaten or worse do as bodily do us bodily harm, which is a present day reality in many places in the world and perhaps is coming to us soon, we needn't fear them as if our eternal destinies can be affected by it. They may take our life, but they can never take my soul away or pluck my soul out of the hand of my God. Their power is limited. And what's the worst that they can do? They can take your life. That's the worst they can do. Paul would say in Philippians, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. So should I fear men who have such limited power? Or should I fear God and do what he says? 
My friends, the Lord is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. This is what we are told. Only the Lord has the power to take and destroy both the soul and body in hell and place the place of never-ending torment and fire. I want to read to us here from Isaiah chapter 2, a passage of scripture that has ministered to me over the years. Isaiah 2, 12 uh, and 17 through 22. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. And then in verse 17, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves of the rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord, the splendor of his majesty, when he arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? My friends, we must fear God above men. Do what you know the Lord wants you to do, and don't be intimidated by men whose life can end in a moment. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do not fear men, but fear God. And finally, Jesus gives this in verses 29 through 31 as, as an assurance and as a comfort. Don't fear. Don't fear to tell the name of Jesus Christ because the Lord cares very much for you. 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. The Lord goes on to alleviate our fears by reassuring us of our Father in heaven and his great care for us. They may take your life. They will never touch your soul. And Jesus here gives an argument to assure our minds from the lesser to the greater. And he refers to sparrows. These would be like those tiny little birds you see all over the parking lot at Mr. D's or in the parking lot at Safeway. Two sparrows are sold for a cent. Sparrows and other small birds were caught, one commentator said, killed, skinned, roasted, and consumed. They were considered delicacies. At the price, uh, the price at the time that Jesus spoke is that they were two for a penny. It was a rather bountiful bird, plentiful and worth nothing, almost like the American dollar. Yet, as insignificant as the sparrow seems, Jesus assures us that not one of them would fall to the ground apart from our Father. And so we see here this, this sovereign God and his care over all his creatures, even the seemingly insignificant ones. They are captured and their little lives end because our God has ordained it to be. And yet, not even their lives end apart from God, nor will your life end apart from God. He cares for the tiniest of creatures. He cares for you. If the Lord would care for a little bird like this, how much more does he care for you, his child? But we are told, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And this is reminiscent of Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. 
you'd look there with me. A wonderful psalm to read, especially in these days. 13 through 18, listen. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. You have formed my inward parts. You have woven me in my mother's womb. My friends, the Lord knows us so intimately. He cares for the little birds of the air. How much more does he care for you? Who knows the hairs on your head? For he didn't offer up a sacrifice for the angels, says the writer of Hebrews, did he? The angels, myriads and myriads of angels. And the Lord didn't offer a sacrifice for them. Who did he offer a sacrifice for? Who did he present his son forward to redeem? The sons of Abraham. Those who like Abraham, who had the faith of Abraham and who would believe that's who Jesus Christ came into this world to die. If God so cares for the smallest of the creatures, knows the number of hairs on your head, they're all numbered, do you think for one second that he will neglect you when you are thrown in prison? Do you think he will neglect you when you're snubbed by your co-workers because you have dared to speak the name of Jesus Christ? Do you think he will snub you if you go into the school board meeting? Do you think the Lord himself will neglect you? It's our fear of men that keep us from obeying the Lord. You see this. We don't want to be spoken of illy. We don't want to be thought badly of. And yet there's no escaping it if we would identify with Jesus Christ. In this life, we should expect to endure hardship as he did. The church is going to have to decide whom they're going to serve. Will we serve the Lord? Or will we serve the world? Will we serve the Lord or will we serve the world? You are valuable to our God, and he demonstrated this by the sacrifice of his son. And again, he is not indifferent. He is not cold toward any of us here. Men can do nothing to you apart from the Lord. And whatever happens to us as we serve him, he will care for us. So don't be fearful and don't stop speaking to others of the Lord. Finally, let me close by reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. It's almost as if Peter were sitting there listening to what the Lord said. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. 
After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word and pray that you would embolden us as your people, that we would have eyes fixed upon you and not upon the world around us. We ask for open doors. And we pray, O Lord, that we would speak the name of Jesus faithfully in love and for the sake of those around us. We pray, Lord, that we would begin to see the world through different eyes, through the grid of Scripture, and that we would begin to uh, have hearts for the lost, even more so than now. And we pray, O Lord, that you would bring in the fullness of your people. Please help us, Father, not to be intimidated into silence regarding the Lord Jesus, but help us to speak his truth, the truth of him uh, to this world. And so we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.